You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. James, we are finishing our Living Faith series today. We preach expositionally, verse by verse, through books of the Bible most of the time. We make exceptions every now and then, but uh, for the most part, our diet is just to walk through the scriptures in the way that God laid them out, assuming that God got the order right, that he got the arrangement right, and that these books uh, really are meant to be walked through, that the author makes an argument, that God feeds our souls through just walking verse by verse through Scripture and, uh, and seeing how it is arranged there. Uh, so what I, what I want to do, we'll, we'll spend our time on the last two verses of James, but I'd like to go back to the very first verse of James. And I would love for James, the brother of Jesus, to, in a sense, preach this sermon to us. This takes about nine minutes to read, but I want you to hear it as a sermon because that's what it is. So I'm going to read the whole book. It's 108 verses. Hang in there, but really hear the words of James, hear the charge in its totality, and then I will... Uh, I'll, I'll, do my little cap at the end um, on the last two verses. So here we go. Read, uh, reading in verse uh, 1. Let me find it. I'm in First Peter. I'm one, two, three pages off. Here we go. So just hear this, because this is a sermon. This is Pastor James speaking to Christians scattered all over the place uh, to encourage them. This is perhaps the first letter written in the New Testament. So these, uh, this is really, really uh, significant stuff. So hear it in its totality. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits." Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he who stood the test, for he has stood the test, he, he, <laughs> for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God can be, cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, 
he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it is, does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is not justified by works, that you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With it we bless our, father, our God and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you spent you wrongly because I'm sorry you because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such, such, and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any one of you wanders, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's take a moment and pray. Oh God, we thank you for this great book. These 108 verses that for us have become 21 sermons, more than 15 hours of our attention and our gatherings have been given to this book, and we pray that as we end our time together with James the Just, your brother, your servant, who was beaten to death for this gospel that he proclaims, God, we pray that your words through him would be life-changing for us, and may this book bear fruit for generations in the living faith that we possess and have been challenged to produce, uh, to, to have produced the fruit of, of righteousness that James has called us to. God, may that be true. May the things that James has instructed in us become evident in our church and bear fruit for generations. Thank you for this great book. Thank you for the ways that you've shaped us with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So there you go. There you go. If I was to summarize the whole book, I would say this. If you have been born of God by the gospel then you can rejoice that all testing will produce spiritual fruit and maturity. I'll repeat that again. If you've been born of God by the gospel, then you can rejoice that all testing will produce spiritual fruit and maturity. And what James has done through this book that we just read and just are finishing preaching through is that James reveals some tests that will come and what they'll produce. Trials, money, persecution. And then James also applies some tests to us by asking us, challenging us, asking us probing questions about our partiality, about our words, about our indifference towards those that are needy around us. And so he both reveals some tests that come from the outside, but then applies some tests because he knows that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. It produces fruit, which results in godliness. And so if we've been born of God by the gospel, then we can rejoice that all testing will produce spiritual fruit and maturity. So as we conclude the book here in the final two verses, chapter 5, James 5, 19 and 20, we get this sweet conclusion that really lands the plane for this book. The title of the message is Bring Back Wanderers. And I think that's what James has been doing in this book, is showing us how. How to keep from wandering ourselves and how to, he gives us a strategy. We just do what James does by asking good questions and with affection, drawing people back to the truth. He says this, James 5, 19 and 20, my brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I want to look at three different ways, uh, three different charges that, that we get in, this, in, this, um, in these last two verses. First, we will see a warning. 
A warning that we are all capable of wandering from the truth. There's a warning in these two verses. That we're all capable of wandering from the truth. There's also a call to all of us who claim the name of Christ that we are all responsible for the whole church. That we're responsible for the spiritual well-being of the other people in our church that we're connected to. And then thirdly, we're going to see a promise that we will see souls saved. We will see sins covered if we will give ourselves to the work of Christ in this way. Personally for ourselves as we trust in Him and then also as we join in the work that He has done to seek and save the lost, we'll also get to rejoice in being instruments of seeing other people come back from their wandering, have their sins covered, have their souls saved. So a warning, a call, and a promise. First, a warning. We are all capable of wandering from the truth. So this should be a warning to all of us. No matter how secure we think we are in our faith, no matter how vigilant we may be, we are capable of wandering in and of ourselves. It says that right there in verse 9, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, which I think is communicating that any of you could potentially wander from the truth. He's letting them know that this is something that you should probably expect will happen in the congregation. It's going to happen. Someone will wander at some point. Maybe I will be the one that wanders in different ways. And we need each other to go after that. So wandering here is the Greek word planeo, which is the word we get for planted. Planet. You just think of a, a planet just hurtling sort of aimlessly through space, right? Just sort of completely at, uh, completely directionless, completely at the liberty um, enslaved to just the forces around it. The gravitational pulls around it just guide it through. There's, it's directionless. It's just merely responding to external s- stimuli. It's a wanderer. So this sense of being wandering from the truth, whether intentionally or unintentionally, just being pulled away from the truth is, is kind of the word there. And I think that if we looked at, if we backed up and went, okay, what do we mean by truth? To wander from the truth, what does that mean to wander from the truth? I think we can look in the scriptures and find at least four ways that we could wander from the truth. So as you heed this warning, think about these different ways. There's more than one way to wander from the truth because the Bible speaks of the truth in more than one way. The Bible speaks about truth as a set of doctrines to know. Theology. What are the things we believe? The Trinity. The Incarnation. Justification by faith alone. These are doctrines, these are truths, these are teachings from the scriptures that we know, and we can wander from the truth when we begin to believe false things, when we begin to deny true things. So it's possible to wander from the truth, wander doctrinally from the truth. James has talked about this in chapter 125, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres to look into the law, to know the doctrines, to know the truths, to hear the voice of God, to to believe the things that are said there, and no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James seems to be telling us that that should be something that we do. Is growing doctrinally, being formed doctrinally, believing right things about God and the world and ourselves. So wandering from the truth can be a disinterest in God's word. Wandering from the truth means I no longer have a desire to learn from the scriptures. I don't have a desire to read good books or good theology or, or hear sound teaching. In fact, 2 Timothy tells, uh, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy that there will be a time that is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They will no longer have an appetite for Bible. They will no longer have an appetite for good books, good theology, sound teaching. There's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander, planeo, 
will wander off into myths, untruths. He says, but as for you, Pastor Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So one way we can wander is when we're no longer interested in truth, in the scriptures, in theology. That's one way to wander from the truth. A second way we can wander from the truth is when we see truth is often described as a pathway to walk in. So truth is not just things we know in our head, that's part of it, but truth is also described as a pathway that we walk in. So our behavior, our morality, how we decide to do what we do. James has talked about this in chapter 2, verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So there are walk to, to, to be faithful to the truth means to live a certain way, not just believe certain things, but live a certain way. So we have a responsibility to walk the path of truth. So wandering then from the truth would mean allowing your desires and distractions to determine what you do. Your behavior, the way you spend your time, the things you do are now just driven by your own internal desires. Or maybe just forces outside of you, like that wandering planet that's just being pulled by the gravity of other planets. So wandering from the truth means that my behavior, my time is now spent, my morality is now influenced by outside things and not by the path, the truth that God has called us to walk in. Paul also wrote to Timothy about this. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. The gravitational pull from the outside presents a temptation to wander from the path. Here's what it says. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away, planeo, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, which is the love of money is what he's talking about. Flee the love of money. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. The path, the behavioral path, the morality path that is also part of the truth. So the truth is doctrines we know and believe. We ought not wander from them. The truth is also a pathway we walk in, how we live our life. Wandering from the faith can be allowing our desires and distractions to determine our behavior. A fourth way that the Bible talks about the truth is the truth is a person. The, person is, the, the, the truth is a person to know and trust in. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the truth is not just a set of doctrines, although that's part of it, and not just a way to walk in, but a person to know. That we need to have a personal, affectionate love for Jesus Christ. So walking in the truth means having an affection for Jesus. I think James has talked about this in chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So look to him, have affection for him, that everything good you have has been a gift from him, a personal gift from him. Of his own will, he brought us forth. He's like a father who gave birth to us, right? He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. And then in chapter 5, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming for you. And you're in love with a person, a person who's going to come back for you and fix all the things. So be patient because he's just, he's right there. He's at the door. So this idea of Jesus returning is, is for us to have an affection for a person, for God himself. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Like a bride getting ready for her groom. He's coming, right? I'm going to see him face to face and I'm going to delight in a person. So wandering from 
the truth, is now treasuring any relationship as more precious to you than Jesus. So it's not just the things we know, not just the path we walk in, but also the person that we have an affection for. Does any relationship, is any relationship more precious to you than your relationship with Jesus? <clears throat> I am always struck by, I've brought this up many times, by what Jesus himself says to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He speaks to this church, Jesus is speaking personally to this church. Uh, the, the Ephesian church is one of my favorites. Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And then you just go down the line a little bit, and Jesus himself speaks to this church through the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. So you've been faithful to walk the path of truth. You've been, pa- you've been faithful in terms of the doctrines. He says, I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, that you've not grown weary, so you're... you're You're faithful to the truth doctrinally. You're faithful to the truth morally. You're even paying a price for it. But this I have against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You've lost your affection for Jesus. And that's a kind of wandering from the truth. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So this is striking to me because I think of any of these wanderings, this is the one I'm most prone to. Love theology, love the Bible, love doctrine. Really try to live my life in accord with that. I'm not perfect in any of these ways, but try to live like, spend my life for the glory of God. Spend my life doing the things that matter and and avoiding the things that would be destructive. And we'll see the last one here in a second, the people to belong to. But the one is, is that I can, in the midst of all of the church stuff, lose Jesus. Lose a personal affection for Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is telling this church that if you lose an affection for me, then your doctrine and your behavior are really not much use to me. I'm going to close you down unless there's an affection for me as a person. And so this is the one that I need your help with of going, are you spending time with Jesus, Josh? Are you affectionate in your relationship with him? Are you communing with him and not just doing things for him and believing right things about him and helping other people do that? But do you actually love Jesus for yourself? And so this is one I feel personally and probably why Revelation 2 looms so large because I, they're doing so well. They're walking the path in so many ways, but they could wander and are wandering from the truth because they've lost their affection for Jesus himself. And then there's a fourth way that the truth is spoken about as a people to belong to. There's always, God has always had a people. He's never just had floating individuals that follow him, but always a people, a family, a community. So the truth is also a people you belong to. James has talked about this already in chapter 2. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself that does not have works is dead. So there's a community obligation that if your brother is praying, um, give us this day our daily bread, God may provide that daily bread through a brother or sister, right? And to cut that off actually is a wandering from the truth itself, right? To embrace the truth and then not have an affectionate love for brothers is a wandering from the truth. He says this in chapter 5, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. This presumes a community. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So there's certain kinds of healing that only can come through, that God has ordained only come through community, that only come through elders. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for you 
Pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's certain kinds of healing that only come when we open ourselves up to each other, right? Forgiveness always only comes from God. I don't want to mistake that there's some sort of salvation that occurs outside of Jesus. But there is certain graces, there's certain, um, there's certain healings that come only. God has put that in your, your, your community for you to draw out from them and to give to one another. So wandering from the truth can be neglecting to gather with, submit to, or serve a local church family. That is a kind of wandering from the truth. 1 John 2 says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, meaning fellow Christians, they would have continued with us. They would have been committed to us. But they went out that it might, be pro- pro- might become plain that they are not all of us. How can you tell who the Christians are? They commit to other Christians. How can you tell who's not truly a Christian? They refuse to commit to other Christians. That's 1 John 2. Hebrews 10, I think, pulls all this together. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the truth, right? The content, the doctrine. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, the truth, without wavering. For he, the truth, meaning Jesus, is who promised is faithful, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, the path of truth. Not neglecting to meet together the community of truth, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So Hebrews is saying the same thing. There's more than one way to wander from the truth. Doctrinally, behaviorally, affectionately, or in community, or from community. So wandering from the truth, as we see in this passage, brings death, right? That's what it says in verse 20. If you bring someone back from their wandering, you will save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's presuming that if they continue to wander, if someone continues to wander from the truth, that they will end up in death. Their soul will die. They will have a multitude of sins uncovered. So wandering from the truth in any of these ways is dangerous and dire. It's a package deal. Coming to Jesus in faith means that I come to him with my whole self, my heart, soul, mind, and strength my relationships, my community. So one application is, do you know anyone, in, especially in this church, who is wandering from the truth? I want you to think about that. Is there anyone that you know that is wandering from the truth? And what I want you to do is actually take that prayer card out of your bulletin, and I want you to write their name down. You can just put their initials if that's embarrassing, like maybe they're sitting next to you or something. But, but I want you to actually write that down on that prayer card. Put their name down on that prayer card. Is there anyone that I know that is wandering from the truth? Secondly, are any of you wandering in one of these ways? And if so, put me, me, or your own name on that card. We want to pray for wanderers. And if we're the wanderers, we want people praying for us. So put put that on there. So we have a warning. We have a warning in these two verses, but here's the thing. We also have a call, a commission, a command. And this is the reality, is that we are all responsible for the whole church. Look at verses 19 and 20 again. My brothers, meaning he's speaking to the whole community here, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings, him, brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Sinclair Ferguson says, he says this about this passage, doesn't, it doesn't say here that the elders should do something about this but the whole church. 
Someone, anyone. He's already talked about elders just a couple of verses before. He could have very easily said, if someone wanders from the church or someone wanders from the truth, tell the elders and they'll go bring the hammer, right? No, it says someone, whoever, anyone. If someone, anyone wanders from the truth, then someone, anyone should go get them, should go after them, should pursue them. Jesus himself said that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. God could bring them back on his own, but God has ordained that he would use his people to bring back his people. Charles Spurgeon has a great sermon on this. I'm going to quote him a couple of times here. He says this, One reason God uses human instruments is because it brings him more glory than if he were to do this work by himself. In this way, God is like a skilled workman who makes incredible things using the worst of tools, (laughs) like us. After the same pattern, God uses earthen vessels to be containers of his glory. So when someone wanders from the truth, you know what the solution is? God is going to send one of his people to go get them. God could bring them back on his own, but he gets more joy and more pleasure out of allowing us to be the agents that go get wanderers. And often, I'll just tell you that, that, that often asking the pastors or the elders to do this work, it often does feel like the police chasing you down, right? Like I actually am at somewhat of a disadvantage going after wanderers because of my position and my title that in some ways you can come alongside and you can speak things that are going to feel heavy-handed coming from a pastor. They're going to feel because of my role that I am not going to gain a hearing. And so it has to be the whole community from all angles with your personality, with your relationship, with your way of saying things, with your demeanor, with your approach that is only going to get through to that wanderer if you do it, right? And so let us not say things like, this is the pastor's job or the elder's job. Where has so-and-so been? Well, you should know that. Know the fellow members well enough to know that you notice when they're wandering. You notice when things are not right. You know them well enough. Certainly elders and pastors have a role in this. I don't mean to take that out of this, but often it's the whole body that is most effective at bringing back those who wander. Spurgeon also says this, Most persons have been convinced to come back from their wandering by the godly words of sisters, by the holy example of mothers, by the Sunday school teacher, by the reading of of a tract, or perusing the scripture. Let us not therefore believe that God will often work without instruments. Let us not sit down and silently say, God will do his own work. That is quite true. He will. But he does his work by using his children as instruments. So we have a call, all of us, to pay attention to who's wandering and to be willing to go after them. How are we going to go after someone who's wandering? Let me give you three words. How do I do this? Okay, Josh, you've convinced me. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. What do I do? Number one, pray. That was last week's sermon. You can listen to that whole thing if you want to. Let me just summarize last week's message. Pray. So pray for them. Commit to pray for them. That's why I asked you to put down, if you know someone who's wandering, to put it down on that card. Pray for them. Pray that God would soften their heart. Pray that God would convict them of their wandering. Number two, pursue. Pursue them. Do the best that you can to try to build a relationship with them. To, 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 to get some credibility, to earn some goodwill, to let them know that you care about them as a person. And then seek to persuade them. Number, number three, persuade. Pray, pursue, persuade. Do like James. Follow James' example because I think James is trying to help some people who are tempted to wander. He asks some well-placed questions, but there's a lot of affection. He says, my brother's a lot. Like, he speaks very affectionately. But then he also asks the penetrating question, right? So I think James actually gives us 
an example and a model for how to do this. Pray, pursue, and then seek to persuade with the aim of winning. Not to shame, not to demean, not we're right, you're wrong, but to woo, to bring them back. Jesus is better than whatever it is you're wandering to. Jesus is way better than that. And I care about your soul even if you don't care about your soul. Right? Please come back. So James is clear and straightforward. He aims to persuade, but he does so from a place of love. So if we're called as a church and as individuals to go after wanderers and be responsible for wanderers, God has called us to do that. Then we need to pray for them. We need to pursue them. We need to persuade them. Let me ask you this question. Are you receptive when people come after you? Let's say you're starting to wander in some way. Do you respond well when someone actually takes an interest or concern in your soul? Some of you have stories of wandering a long way. And part of the reason you wandered a long way is that no one had the courage to come get you. And you probably would have made it difficult for them. But some of you went way down a bad path simply because no one had the courage to pray, pursue, or persuade you, right? Let's not let that not be true among us. So are you the kind of person that's receptive if people were to come to you with a concern about your wandering? Even if they're wrong, there's something about that concern that is really, really godly even if they get it wrong. Even if you go to someone and they're not really wandering and you just misread something, that still is a very kind thing to do, right? So I care about you enough to make things awkward, to ask a question. And if I was wrong, great. But if you are wandering, I, I want to at least be an agent of Christ in your life to warn you and to pursue you and to persuade you, to pray for you. Up on the screen, we have a list of our members. I think I have it here. So... These members, this is a list of all of the covenant members in our church, these members have agreed to look out for each other. When you become a covenant member of a church, you are saying that I am responsible to these people and I'm responsible for these people. And in church membership, it's a permission. It's a permission to go, if I wander, come after me. And if you wander, I promise I will do my best to come after you, right? It's a real humility to join a church because you're saying, I have the potential to wander if I'm left to myself. There are forces upon me that if I don't tether myself to a community of people that will speak the truth and love to me, I am very capable of wandering into very dark, devastating places. So, so it's a humble thing to say, I need help, and I'm willing to sign up to be pursued if I wander, and to be a pursuer if one of you wanders. I'm in. I'm in on the life and the covering of sins with you people. I'm willing to sign on to that. So these are the people that are responsible for one another. I think it's really hard to pursue someone when they haven't given you permission to do that, which is why it's, always, I think, kind of difficult if you're sort of a non-member and you're just sort of attending sometimes. Like, we don't know that we have the permission to come after you if we have a concern. Like, you haven't given us that permission we're not sure that we're really responsible. Do we even know you that well? So that's part of the reason why I'm such a stickler and why I bring it up all the time is because I don't really know what to do. It's like I don't know what the definition of the relationship is. So it's really helpful to then go, you know what? I want, to become after, I want someone to come after me in love if I wander. And I am willing to sign up and go after other wanderers for the glory of Christ. Tell me who I have permission to go pursue. Uh, here's the names and their families. So we have a call. We have a warning, we have a call, and then we have a promise. 
We will all see souls saved and sins covered. Look at, look at verse 20. Let him know, meaning the pursuer. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So I think we could conclude here that going after wanderers is the most honorable and rewarding work in the world. The work of Jesus is going to be applied to them. This is not to say that the pursuer is the one that forgives their sins and saves their life, but he becomes the agent of doing it. God allows them to play a part. It's always Christ that does this. If you bring back a wanderer from Christ, you have done the greatest work in the world. You have rescued a soul from death. You have brought someone back to the Savior, and their sins are completely gone and atoned for. You get to play a part in that. And I think part of the reason why it says let him know that is because this is really hard work. Going after wanderers, sometimes you get your head bit off when you start sticking your nose in someone's business, right? When you care about someone's soul more than they do and you begin to confront them in their sin or you begin to try to pray for them, and it's really discouraging and it's easier to just go, you know what, if they want to wander, just let them wander, right? And I love this, verse 20. Hey, if someone goes after someone and is seeking, is praying, pursuing, seeking to persuade them and it's not going well, let them know their work really matters. Let them know that if they'll persist in a loving way, that this is the most significant work in the world. So I think, this, I think this is meant to be an encouragement, an encouragement for the hard and heartbreaking work of pursuing wanderers. According to what I think this verse is telling us, wanderers need pursuers, and God uses his church, and pursuers need encouragement because it can be very discouraging work. Some of you know that, don't you? You have some family members or some friends who are wandering from the truth, and they just don't want to hear it, Right? And it's very discouraging. It's very disheartening to have your child walk away from the faith. To have your grandchildren not walking with Jesus. To have someone you know and love dearly stray from the truth. And I think this is meant to be, hey, y'all need to encourage each other because all of us are heartbroken about the spiritual condition of people we love dearly. And you just need to know that you need to stay in the game. Keep praying, keep pursuing, keep looking to persuade. We're going to need encouragement to that. Let one another know that this matters a lot. It's worth persevering in for 50, 80 years, however long it takes. And we as a community want to become the kind of community that goes after wanderers together and individually. And we, rem we need reminders of what's at stake. If we bring them back, we save their soul from death into salvation. Not us, but Christ. We play a critical role, but it's always Jesus. And so we keep at it. The stakes are so high. The consequence is so intense. How dare we not give it our all, right, in love to bring them back? I don't know if you have uh, remember a few years ago that soccer team that got trapped in Thailand in the cave that flooded. And for 18 days, they were down there. And we watched a documentary. Maybe some of you have seen this documentary. Uh, but just the effort relentless effort and creativity to go get those boys, right? To go get them because their lives matter. And as long as they're drawing breath, they weren't going to give up. And it was crazy the things they had to do to get down there. And the team they had to assemble and the equipment they needed, they had to sedate those boys because you get panicky and a panicky dive situation. Phenomenal. The effort and the energy put in to rescue these boys and they got all of them. And it's such a stirring story of just, this mattered. These boys mattered. And it was worth risking our lives to go get them. And that's the thing here. That's, I think, what James wants us to go. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. 
If we bring them back, we cover a a lot of guilt. That's kind of the idea here, a lot, a multitude, a multiplying amount of sins get covered. It's not hiding them, it's eliminating them through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Wrath is coming for the sins of wandering, but they can be saved from their sins if they'll repent. 1 Timothy, again, speaks to this because Paul just wants Timothy to know that this is going to be like most of his job, (laughs) is going after wanderers. So again, let me quote 1 Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, in in, in love, and in purity. So in a sense, be faithful to walk the path, right? Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, like maybe a whole book of James, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has, was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Then this, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Don't wander doctrinally, morally, affectionately. Don't wander from this community. Persist in this, for by so doing, Pastor Timothy, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's really important that I, as your pastor, and these elders not stray from the truth because there's a tendency that we might pull a lot of other people off the path with us too. But that's also true of you. Don't let anyone look down on you. But you make progress in your faithfulness to the truth, and you'll pull other people with you. You'll pull wanderers with you by your example. I love what John Calvin says. He he says, We must therefore take heed lest souls perish because of our sloth, whose salvation God puts in, in, in a manner in our own hands. Not that we can bestow salvation on them, but that God, by our ministry, delivers and saves those who might seem otherwise to be near destruction. So I think just to apply this, keep the promises of God in front of you as you pray, pursue, and persuade. Keep the promises of God in front of you. This would be a great verse to memorize and repeat to yourself every day as you're heartbroken over that person who's wandering from the faith. Hey, just know that if they come back, they'll be saved. So we keep praying. So keep the promises of God in front of you as you pray, pursue, and persuade wanderers. Don't give up. Be tactful and respectful, but relentless. And expect that if you wander, we will aim to be relentless in our prayer, pursuit, and persuasion of you. If you're a member of this church, we're just committing to do that. That we'll be relentless. (laughs) There is a point where you do release someone under church discipline, excommunication, But until we get to that point, we will pray, pursue, and persuade you. Your soul means too much to us, even if it doesn't mean all that much to you. Bottom line, how can we obey this verse at Redeeming Grace? Uh, I think I've already talked about some of it, but let me just lay out some things. One is to carefully preach the truth in all its fullness. The truths of who God is, the doctrine, and call you to conform yourself and believe the truths of Scripture. At the same time, to also preach the truth that there are certain ways that we live our lives now. We forsake sin and we pursue righteousness and love. So to preach the truth in in terms of the path that we walk in light of these doctrines. To preach with all of our might an affection for Jesus. Don't let your affection for Jesus to grow cold. And to preach the truth in all its fullness that the truth is also something that we belong to. A people of truth that we belong and commit ourselves to. Another way that we try to do this is to frequently meet together so that we can know and help one another. I can't know if you're wandering if I never spend any time with you and I never have a conversation with you, right? 
Paul Tripp says, you cannot minister to that which you do not know. So we need to gather frequently so that we can know one another well enough to be able to see when we're wandering. Because sometimes we don't know ourselves that we're wandering. And someone else who's talking with us goes, hey, something's up here. Can I pray for you about that? Third, clearly and carefully exercise the ordinances. Our allegiance to the truth is efficiently recognized and formally presented in acts like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are important. Those matter. And those speak to who is part of this community. Who's accountable? Who are the pursuers? Who are we going after? Who do we have permission to go after? Baptism and Lord's Supper. Baptism is, in, in some sense, coming into the membership of the church. Lord's Supper is the ongoing renewal. And then if we have to remove someone from the table, that's a very serious act of discipline. And then lastly, intentional biblical membership with clear membership covenant. And that's what you have that in your sheet there. You just have that in your handout there. I think it's on the screen. It's almost impossible to read on the screen, I think. <laughs> but maybe you want to open that up and look at that and realize the church membership, this covenant, is expressed permission to come after me if I'm violating any of these bullet points. This summary of New Testament Christianity, if I begin to stray from these, from the teachings of the church, from the from the way of life that we've committed to, then I want you to come ask me a question about it. I want you to pray, pursue me. And church membership is an express commitment that I will come after you if I have concerns about your spiritual condition. Even if I get it wrong, I do mean well. Great ancient, <laughs> ancient as in a few hundred years ago, Baptist preacher named Charles Simeon. I'm kind of paraphrasing it because he, he wrote really weird sentences, but here's, let me paraphrase this. He says, all of us bringing back wanderers is the end of all true ministry. It is the reason we make such a big deal of the ordinances of the gospel, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and it is the whole reason why God has left us on the earth. It's beautiful. That's why what we do matters. Dan Doriani says this. This is a commentator. He says, James unites several themes in these two short verses. To pursue a sinner in order to win him to Christ is the proper response to a trial, James 1. It is a form of kindness to a brother, James chapter 2. It is a proper use of speech, James chapter 3. And it leads people to humble themselves before the Lord, James 4 and 5. James summons us to do the word and reap the blessings of seeing sinners brought from death to life, wanderers brought back home. James reminds us that sin does lead to death and that the gospel, the word of truth, saves the soul. So let me just ask you this as we close. If any of you have been brought back from wandering, I would ask you to go thank the person that was a catalyst in that. Maybe it was multiple people in your wandering. They were praying for you. They, were, they sought to have conversations with you. Maybe you resisted. Think of those people that if you had a period of wandering in your life, go thank some of those people because they need to know that they helped save your soul from death. And what a great privilege that would be Thank you for praying for me. I know this was like two decades ago, but I just want to say thanks for praying for me. I heard a sermon today, and it just made me really grateful for you, that you were the kind of person that pursued a wanderer. If you see someone going after wanderers, like maybe you know of people in the church who really have their heart broken over someone that's straying, encourage them. Ask for that name and say, I'll be praying for you as you seek to pursue them. If you know people in our congregation that are really actively pursuing wanderers right now, encourage them. They need to know that their efforts matter and that God is pleased with their efforts, even if they're not seeing the response that they want.
and if you go after someone lovingly to bring them back, no one feel the pleasure of God on you for your hard work. It matters. He knows, and he will reward. Lastly, a word from Spurgeon, because this is a great way to end a sermon. Here's what he says in his sermon back in like the 1860s as he preached this text. This is just a great way to end. Here I would say to any backsliders that are present, so if you're a wanderer here today, let this text cheer you up, that if you have a desire to return to God, return. For the Lord has bid his people to seek you. He's put this text and put this on my heart to preach to you because you can come back. Return, you backsliding children, for the Lord has bid his people to seek you. If he had not cared for you, he would not have spoken of a search for you. But having put it so and made it the duty of all of his people to seek those who wander from the faith, there is an open door before you. And there are hundreds who sit waiting like porters at the gate to welcome you. Come back to the God whom you have forsaken. Or if you never did know him, oh, that this would be the day that his spirit would break your hearts and lead you to true repentance, that you may in real truth be saved. God bless you, poor wanderers. If he does not save you, a multitude of sins will be upon you and you will die eternally. God have mercy upon you for Christ's sake. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these sweet words in this great book. And God, we pray that you would make us a church that embodies this really, really well. Help us to not be heavy-handed in our pursuit of wanderers. Help us not to be neglectful. Help us to go deep enough with each other to know when wandering is taking place and help us to be willing to ask for help if we're beginning to wander or we have concerns about our own souls. God, may we have that kind of transparency and trust that, um, that we would be able to do that. And if there is, or almost inevitably, is someone wandering in some way today, God, we pray that this sermon would be a callback to the sweetness of Christ's grace. And God, we pray that you would help us to take the steps we need to take, to have the conversations we need to have, and help us, God, to be a church that prays, pursues, and persuades those who are far from you and wandering from you, either intentionally or unintentionally, that we might see them come back and rejoice with you at the, at the, at the, at the lost sheep coming home. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.